It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for joining us. For those of you that are on the live stream, we apologize for not having uh, video right now. Hopefully you can still hear us loud and clear. Uh, boy, the snow has finally kind of gone away. I don't know if you saw, we still have some over here that was like a three and a half foot drift. The wind was very much blowing up here on top. And so we had some incredible bare spots. We had grass that was bare the whole time. And then, yeah, it was this deep in other places. A spot that I did back my vehicle into and was stuck for a short time. But I, lo I love the snow. Um, I love the snow because when you get out on the roadway, it's kind of like the rules of the road are slightly suspended. I don't know if you've recognized this reality in life. Um, I appreciate it because I'm a man. I guess sometimes I don't like to follow rules. And I feel like when it snows, it's like your, your ability to not necessarily follow all the, the letter of the law when it comes to the roadways. You know, for instance, you don't necessarily have to drive in between the lines because you can't see the lines. You know, you're just kind of finding your way. Uh, when you come up to a stop sign, maybe you stop, maybe you don't, because if you do, you're not going to get going again, right? So you kind of roll, what do they call that, a California roll? Anybody from California, I'm sorry, that's what I was told that's called. Um, you know, I was at a, uh, I was at a red light uh, down by QFC, and vehicles in front of me were in a turn lane, and we just sat there through cycle after cycle of the light not turning for us. And I think it was because we were actually in between two lanes, so like the sensor couldn't detect a vehicle parking there. So I'm thinking, you know, like, okay, we're just going to have to go for it. And of course, you know, they eventually go, yep, we got to do it. So it's a quick check, check, and here we go through the red light. But it's interesting that the, when it snows, we adopt kind of a different mentality. And, and I like to call it, you adopt snow rules, right? The snow rules of the road. This morning is youth Sunday, so we're going to have youth rules, all right? Now, what that means is we're going to have some more interaction. Uh, don't worry, not too much. I'll have you read some verses. Uh, I may ask you some questions to respond to you. Some of the very same questions that I asked our students at retreat and adults know this, know this, that it means far, far more than you know that these young people see and hear you engage in the same way that they do at camp. So please, participate. And uh, we're also going to have a few of our youth come up and share, give their testimonies on the ways that God's been at work in them at retreat. I think it'll be a great blessing. So yeah, two weekends ago, we were at youth uh, winter retreat. We were down at Camp Tapawingo. It's on the coastal range outside Salem. Anybody been to Camp Tapawingo? Any adults in the room? A few, not very many. Wonderful place, wonderful place. And our theme, as Matt said, it was realign. It's the idea that all too often we endure seasons of life or moments in our life that they throw us out of alignment. You know, we develop habits that seem to incessantly pull us towards a ditch on the side of the road. And what we need to do is we need to stop. We need to stop for a moment. We need to realign ourselves back to our first love. And that's the beauty of a retreat, right? You can hit pause for a moment. You can remove some of those distractions and realign some of your thinking and some of your habits. And uh, speaking of retreats, there's a women's retreat coming up in May. So for all the women here, I highly recommend it. Kristen Carlson's leading that. If you have any questions, go see her. She'd love to get you uh, squared away for that coming up. Uh, now, at camp, though, for our theme of realign, we used sections in the Old Testament, specifically the stories of Elijah, 
a prophet sent by God with the mission of realigning Israel back to follow the one true God, Yahweh. And uh, we would jump then into the New Testament to see some tangible examples from the life of Jesus on who and what we're really realigning ourselves to. We used Mark chapters 1 and 2 to do that. But on night 1, my first night, we began in 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you have a Bible with you or it's on your phone, go ahead and pull that out. 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to be going through that chapter and the next one here, so I'd love for you to follow along with me. And in that text, we enter the story and find ourselves at a time thousands of years in the past. And although this moment in 1 Kings is far from us in terms of time, the issues and troubles the nation of Israel experience are ones we actually feel daily. The nation of Israel was divided. It is split into a northern and a southern kingdom, incessantly falling into bouts of civil war. And Judah to the south is led by King Jehoshaphat, and to the north, Israel, one of their worst, King Ahab. And much like our own culture, this divided kingdom often felt the effects of this tribalistic mentality. And they, like us, they, they quickly labeled, labeled families, labeled individuals. They assigned worth and value and honor depending on lineage. These chosen people of God also compared their ways to those of the nations around them. And if you recall their history in 1 Samuel 8, I'll read this for you. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and they came to Samuel. Samuel was the prophet at that time. And they said to him, behold, Samuel, you've grown old. Your sons do not walk in your ways. So appoint a king for us to judge us like all of the nations around us. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all they have said to you. For they have not rejected you, they've rejected me. Now beyond this, these Hebrews, they were uh, the people, as we know from the book of Judges also, they were described as every man did what was right in his own eyes. And we live in a similar world, divided, labeled, compared, and we choose our own truth. We choose our own morality. So now in 1 Kings chapter 17, we find this nation in desperate need to be realigned. But before God can do that work, he needs their attention. So he sends someone. Enter the scene, Elijah, the prophet. Okay, first point of interaction. What is a prophet? Can somebody speak boldly? What is a prophet? Or a few people, what is a prophet? The voice of God. And a truth teller. What was this over here? Absolutely. And in the case of Elijah, someone sent to speak on behalf of God, Yahweh himself, right? So can someone read for me 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Verse 1. Thank you, Caitlin. Yes. So Elijah shows up and he, you know, drops this little nugget of good news to King Ahab. Uh, King Ahab, you're going to have a drought. It's going to last for years. And it will only conclude by my word. See ya. Bye. Verse 2 then continues. The word of the Lord came to him, Elijah saying, go away from here and turn eastward. 
hide yourself by the book Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You know, I can't help but imagine that maybe after a month, then two, then three, then four, King Ahab finally realizes, huh, we haven't had rain in a little while. What's going, what's going on here? And uh, again, my imagination runs, and I picture this, you know, maybe a court recorder kind of chiming in. You, you remember that Elijah fellow, right? Said we'd have a drought, and Ahab's like, Ahab, Ahab's like, uh, Elijah, Elijah, I don't, I'm, nah, I'm not remembering him. Super hairy fella in leathers. He was a Tishbite. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I remember him. He was hairy. Um, go find him right now. Bring him to me. He's going to fix this. Anyway, back to our story. The word of the Lord came to him saying, verse 3, go away from here and turn eastward. Hide yourself by the book Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and lived by the brook, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he would drink from the brook. Now, verse 6, that last one, does that remind you of anything? Anybody? Should. Israelites, where? In the desert, wandering. Yes, absolutely. The Hebrews wandering in the desert, being supplied with manna and quail. Verse 7, it happened after a while that the brook dried up. Yep, we're in a drought. There was no rain in the land. Verse 8, the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So Elijah rose, he went, and he came to the gate of the city. Behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And Elijah called to her and said, Please, get me a little water in a jar that I might drink. And as she was going to get it, Elijah called to her and said, uh, please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. Behold, I'm, I'm gathering a few sticks that I might go in, prepare for me and my son that we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake first and bring it to me and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son for thus says the lord god of israel the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted nor shall the jar of oil be emptied until the day the lord sends rain on the face of the earth i want to put ourselves for a moment in in the perspective of this woman you know the story tells us that she's collecting just a few sticks to make a little fire a fire to cook the last piece of bread she has and after this meal, she will have, she'll have nothing, nothing to give her son, nothing to give herself. This is the last meal before starvation. Now, Elijah, uh, a supposed stranger, is saying, hey, before you do that, before you feed your son, before you feed yourself, give, give your last food to me. In verse 9, God says he's commanded this woman to provide Elijah, to provide for Elijah. So God has spoken to her in some way. But nonetheless, you can imagine the moment of extreme choice this woman is having. So I ask of all, all of you, put yourself in her shoes. 
would you give your last meal to a stranger? You know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Where are you at with this choice? Yep, interaction. Come on, come on, church, interaction. Some of you are, oh, yeah, totally. We're all across the map. I would, I'd be the same. I don't know. It makes me wonder, you know, when it says in verse 9 that God commanded her, I wonder what that interaction was like that provided sufficient confidence or lack thereof. But let's see what she does. Verse 15. So she went and did according to the word of Elijah. She obeys. And she and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. So this widow, she, she trusts. She has faith, enormous faith. She obeys. She's blessed with unending bread to sustain herself and her household through a severe famine. Can someone read for me now verse 17? Verse 17. In verse 18, so she said to Eliza, Elijah, what do I have to do with you, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my iniquity to remembrance and to put my son to death. Elijah said to her, give me your son. Then he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper room where he was living and laid him on his own bed. He called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, have you also brought calamity to the widow with whom I am staying by causing her son to die? Then Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times and called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, my God, I pray you let this child's life return to him. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and the life of the child returned to him and he revived Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son is alive. Can someone read verse 24 for me? Thank you. Now I know that you are a man of God. I don't know about you, but the first thought that goes through my head is, okay, now you know? Now you know? Like that never-ending extra virgin olive oil that you tipped over and it just never stopped. You know, the flower that constantly regenerated itself, like that wasn't quite sufficient to convince you. You know, it took the death of your son and then the resurrection via Elijah for you to have your attention finally fully captivated, for you to be finally fully convinced. You know, as much as I want to shake my head at her, I have to admit I am no different. I consistently seem to run up against irreconcilable moments in my life. And I go, God, I'm doubting you. I'm doubting your plans. I'm doubting your goodness. I'm, a, I'm doubting your ability to make a way. Does anybody else do that? Anybody else? Raise of hands. There's a few that are not. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm so thankful, though, for me, and I hope for you, too. That's when the Holy Spirit kind of gently reminds me, hey, Andrew, I got 2,000 pages, buddy, of story after story of my faithfulness. He says, Andrew, think of Abraham. Think of Joseph, sold into slavery. Think of Moses with his back to the Red Sea. Think of Joshua going into the promised land. Think of Ruth. Andrew, think of Queen Esther. Queen Esther. I read that story to my kids the other day, and I'm still just like, wow, incredible. And God says, Andrew, think of your own life. Have I not proven myself trustworthy to you? And I have to just fall on my knees and confess and say, Father, forgive me. You are fully faithful. You are fully trustworthy. We are not a culture 
that raises Ebenezer's, literally or figuratively. So it's no wonder we're quick to forget God's faithfulness. Yes, thank God that he does not abandon us. He sends messengers to remind us God is faithful and worthy to receive our attention. So I want to invite two of our students, Lydia and Reagan. They're going to come up and they're going to share a little bit about how at Retreat God got their attention. Either one of you can go first. Reagan, thank you. Okay, um, hello, my name is Reagan, and one way God got my attention at the retreat was through our uh, morning devotion one day, we read Romans 12, and the verse that really just stuck out to me was uh, Romans 12, 21, which says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good, and this verse made me realize like how upside down our world is compared to the kingdom of God, mm -hmm. and just how cool it is that as Christians, we get to be a light for Christ and we get to overcome evil with good and show people God's love. And then another verse that stuck out to me was Romans 12, 9 through 10. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And Jesus calls us to share his gospel, and we get to do that by showing Christ-like love in a broken world, and I just think that's so cool. Mm, thank you. Hi, I'm Lydia. Um, for me... God really got my attention this week through something that Andrew said. Um, he called Jesus the conqueror of death. Uh, this school year, kind of without me noticing, uh, Jesus has kind of took a back seat. Like, he isn't as important as whatever test was coming up or whatever grades I was getting at that time. Um, I started to think of him as almost as a passive being in my life. Like, he was there, but he wasn't really doing anything. Um, when Andrew said that, when he called Jesus the conqueror of death, it really reminded me, it kind of woke me up to that God is all-powerful and all-knowing, um, and that Jesus suffered and died, and that he did it for me. Excellent. Thank you, guys. Can we give him a round of applause? That's very true. He is the conqueror of death. Um, on night two at the retreat, we moved into chapter 18, First uh, Kings. So follow with me there. It contains probably the most well-known story of Elijah. It's where he confronts the false gods of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel. And uh, let's, we're going to jump right into that. Uh, verse 1. Now it happened after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the face of the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab in the salmon, a famine, not salmon. The famine was severe in Samaria. I'm ready to go fishing. Um, I'm going to jump to verse 17. So Elijah goes to Ahab. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Yeah, nice to see you too, Ahab. Verse 18, he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. You have followed the balls, and now send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel, together with 450 prophets, 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Can someone read verse 21 for me? Thank you. Yes. And this is the crux of the matter right here. God has sent Elijah to capture the Israelites' attention to deliver this message. 
follow me. Follow me. Let's see what happens. We're going to continue reading verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I am alone left as a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. So now let them give us two oxen. Let them choose one for themselves, cut it up, place it on the wood, put no fire under it. I will prepare the other oxen and lay it on the wood, and I will also not put fire under it. Then you call in the name of your God, I will call in the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And the people said, that is a good idea. I agree. So Elijah said to the prophets, choose one ox for yourselves, prepare it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it, and they called in the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leapt about the altar which they made. And it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he's occupied, or maybe he's gone aside. Maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they cried out with a loud voice. They cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah, verse 30, said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah, he took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two measures of seed. And he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces, laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and the wood. He said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. Can someone read verse 35 for me? Thank you. The altar was soaked. It was sopping wet. Verse 36. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Israel, Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Amen. Under the rule of Ahab, the nation of Israel is steeped in sin. They've decided to worship the worthless idols, false gods of all the nations around them. And I'm afraid in many respects, we as a culture are no different. When I talk to these young people a few weekends ago, they are intimately aware of the false gods that the, word the world tells them to worship, the false gods that apparently need to be bowed down to to grant this ideal life, supposed ideal life, false gods of, of money and wealth, of popularity and influence. 
having just the right look, the right build, the right shape. And as I have, I have found that as I've grown older, some of those false gods, they, they linger. But new ones of safety, of comfort, confidence, certainty, entertainment in life, they have, they have shown up when I entered adulthood. And I, I look around and I've found these things are now also worshiped. Now, just as God consistently draws and desires to draw the Israelites back to himself, so does he desire to draw us back to him, to realign our hearts back to our creator. In chapter 17, we saw God do that with an individual, the widow. And now in chapter 18, we see God do that same thing, but with a whole nation. God desires the same thing of us. He desires your individual attention, and he desires the attention of our whole church to speak his message, follow me. So just as I asked the youth at the retreat, I ask you the same question. Are you following him? And I want to invite now Jack and Seth to come up. They're going to share a couple ways that on the retreat, God spoke to them and how they should follow God. Thank you. Oh, oh whoops. Sorry, I just turned my phone off because I'm going to read a Bible verse. All right. Uh, so, hi, I'm Jack O'Down. Uh, I'll let Seth introduce himself later, but I already kind of did. My bad. Um, but uh, the past weekend, uh, or the weekend at camp was so much fun, and it was such a blessing to be able to be with everybody there. And uh, But how uh, God has been calling me to follow him. Uh, in the mornings, we would have breakfast, and then we'd go do a de- uh, devotional. And one of the devotionals we did was in Romans 12. I don't remember what day it was. It was a long time ago. Small detail. Uh, doesn't matter. It was a great verse. And I'll just read. Um, so some of you may already know uh, this passage. It's quite famous, but it's the marks of a true Christian. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the need of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals over his head. And uh, the final verse is one Reagan shared, uh, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sorry, that was a lot, and now I'll kind of unpack it with my own stuff. Um, so we had to sit and do some self-reflection, and I uh, came up with my core values that the world has given to me and I've given to myself. I want attention. Uh, I want people to laugh at the things I say, uh, and that means sometimes I go out of my way to do it, uh, and I want to win things. I'm very competitive, but that's not at all what God calls people to be. He wants people to be patient, humble, kind, and loving. And those are the things that I have been trying to work on uh, and to 
present to the world as my godly self uh, at school, at church, even, you know, youth group. Uh, uh, sometimes the games get really competitive, and uh, I, we were doing dodgeball at the game, not dodgeball, um, kickball, and Matt was running, and he dove into the base, and I threw the ball, and I, bam, right in the face, and uh, it, I, I felt awful, because I was like, oh, he's out, he's out, he's out, he's out, and Matt was like, oh, okay, then he walked back, and then I was like, wait, no, Matt shouldn't be out, and I was feeling awful, but, like, Matt's just humbleness there, like, it really kind of just, um, you know, it was just like, wow, I got way too into the game that I kind of prioritized getting something over, like, an incredible friendship that I have with him. And uh, that was just kind of a really grounding moment. But um, I think I've run my time out. So he Thank you, Jack. Thank you. Hello. I'm Seth, the other one. There's two of us. Um, mine will not be as long as Jack's. I'm <laughs> I've been with Harvest for almost two years now. Um, I started coming when my older sister was here and she invited me to go. Um, and it really hit me. I felt like God spoke to me that this was my church and this is where I belonged, even though my parents go to a different church. Um, and I remember a while ago, I, I remember saying that I couldn't see where God was at work in my life. I couldn't see him showing himself to me and that has changed and that has and after that moment every single Wednesday that's changed he's shown himself every single Wednesday to me in a different way um, and at the retreat he, he showed me some of my idols some of my insecurities in a couple ways I actually tried to be an attention grabber um, even though I didn't even notice them so that's why he had to show them to me um, and he also showed me again, because I feel like he showed me this time and time again, but what an amazing friend group I have here at Harvest. I wouldn't be standing here if it weren't for them right now, and for God. Uh, so ever since the retreat, I've read two chapters of the Bible, starting in Matthew, and every night, every night before bed. And I also have a morning devotional time, and that has, that is how God has been at work in my life since the retreat. Mm, amen. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, Jack. Very, very encouraging to hear how the Lord has worked and will continue to work. Um, on our last night at the retreat, we looked at 1 Kings chapter 22. You can turn there. I'm going to paraphrase it a bit for time's sake. The story is kind of the conclusion of 1 Kings. It's the conclusion of, of the story of King Ahab. And the story begins with... Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, coming and meeting King Ahab. And as they are talking with one another, King Ahab takes the opportunity to say, hey, there's this city, Ramoth-Gilead, over to our east. Uh, it's ours, but the king of Aram, he's holding it. Uh, you want to work together, and we'll go over there, and we'll go battle against him, and we'll take that city back because it's really ours. And Jehoshaphat says, sure. Let's do it. My men are your men. My horses are your horses. Let's do it. Um, but Jehoshaphat is halfway decent king. Ahab, clearly not. Jehoshaphat says, before we do this, I would like us to go talk to a prophet of Yahweh. Make sure they're, uh, they give their blessing to this. And so 
Ahab says, sure, fine, I'll go get the prophets. So he goes and gets his prophets. Now, these are Ahab's prophets. These are not prophets of Yahweh. These are prophets of Baal and Asherah. These prophets come, 400 of them come, and they ask him, can we go up against Ramoth Gilead? Will we succeed in battle? And they, oh, yeah, go for it. You'll totally crush it. Two thumbs up, city is yours. Jehoshaphat wisely says, hey, Ahab, love that your prophet said this, but again, I really would like us to get a second opinion just from a prophet of Yahweh to make sure we're okay. Ahab goes, there's one prophet I know of, one, but the Bible says this, it says, I hate him. He never prophesies what I want to prophesy. He never says what I want to hear. He always prophesies evil against me. His name is Micaiah. So if you really, really have to, Jehoshaphat, he's the guy. But I'm telling you, we don't want to hear from him. It's never good news. It's never what we want to hear. Jehoshaphat's going to say it isn't so, you know. Uh, Nonetheless, Jehoshaphat pushes the issue, says, go get him. So they send a messenger to go get Micaiah. This messenger comes up to Micaiah and says, hey, King Jehoshaphat, King Ahab, they want you to come. They want to take Ramoth Gilead. They want your opinion on the matter. And know, know that 400 prophets have already cast an opinion on this. And they're all together. They're all in unison. They're all saying, go, do it. Ramoth Gilead is yours. You will succeed in battle. Micaiah wisely responds. And he says, listen, I can't guarantee anything. I will speak what the Lord speaks to me, wisely said. So Micaiah comes before the two kings, and they ask him, can we go up to Ramoth Gilead? Will we succeed in battle? Micaiah says, sure, go for it. You'll succeed. King Ahab is just like, what? Is it seriously that hard for you to finally get on board, to get on with the program? Is it that hard to you finally to agree with all these other prophets? Like, what does it take, man? And Micaiah goes, uh, no, actually, I was just kidding. You're going to lose. You will be utterly destroyed. In fact, I see all Israel scattered along the hillside with no shepherd, with no commander. And a call goes out, every man to his home, every man to his country. And Ahab just goes, I knew it. Didn't I tell you, Jehoshaphat, this guy never says what we want to hear. He never prophesies good for me. I just can't help but think, man, just like Ahab, don't, don't we just sometimes want to hear what we want to hear? You know, we don't want to hear a contrary opinion. We just want to hear what we want to hear. It's like confirmation bias, but thousands of years ago. So nonetheless, Despite what Micaiah said, they go to battle. King Ahab, he thinks he's being smart, and so he disguises himself. He doesn't wear his typical royal garb and go out into the battle with that that array. He dresses in disguise like a regular soldier, and he goes out. Now, the king of Aram has told his men, go straight to the king of Israel. Go straight to King Ahab. Press the fight directly to him. Do not go anywhere else. Find him and get him. So Ahab, thinking, smart, you know, I've disguised myself. They won't find me. So they go into battle. King Aram's men, they go straight to the king, but it's not King Ahab, it's King Jehoshaphat. They realize that in the midst of the battle, and they turn aside. And despite King Ahab's trickery or his 
feeling of confidence that he's dis- disguised himself. Scripture tells us, now a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in a joint of the armor. So he said to his driver of the chariot, turn around, take me out of the fight. I'm severely wounded. And the battle raged that day and the king King Ahab was propped up in his chariot in front of the Arameans, and he died. He died at evening, and the blood from the wound ran into the bottom of the chariot. Then a cry passed throughout the army, close to sun, saying, every man to his city, every man to his country, just like Micaiah said. So the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. I just can't help but think, man, Ahab, what happened? What happened, Ahab? You know, it was just a few chapters earlier. You, you and the nation, you were bowed down, exclaiming, the Lord, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Did you, did you forget? Did you forget what happened on Mount Carmel? Truly, a mountaintop experience. You saw firsthand God's holy fire Consume that altar. You know, what does it take, Ahab, to to captivate your attention? Do you need like miracle after miracle, mountaintop experience, back to back, to keep you grounded to the one true God? You know, and anyone, anyone, all of us here, if you followed God for even just a short time, you know that it's, it's not how things work. We don't go from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. A life of following God happens just as much in the valleys low as it does on the mountaintops and mostly on the trails in between. Now, I want to venture into a moment of interaction here, okay? I told the youth that when I was 16 years old, I had a pervasive, still small voice inside of me. It said, Andrew, if you're going to follow me, you should actually start doing that. It said, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you, you really should start following me. And so I began to read my Bible. I read my Bible just like Seth said, two chapters a night. I started in Matthew. And doing that, starting that habit of reading in Scripture, it is what has kept my wandering heart tethered to the source. So I'm curious if we as a church could testify to the habits and things we all do, that you do in your personal life that help you keep your faith alive and growing. What are the things you do to ensure you do not turn out like King Ahab? So I'd love for us to speak aloud in just a few words the ways you keep your faith growing. And if someone says before you the the way that you stay close to God, just repeat it. Say it again. The repetition will be good for us as a community to hear, and it'll be great for our young people to hear how we as a congregation stay tethered to the source. So I'll say mine. My first one was reading scripture. What else? Young people, do you hear this? These people have walked with the Lord for years. Who here has walked with Jesus for over 30 years of their life? Now, out of those hands, keep them up for just a second. How many would take their hand down if you would say prayer has not been a part of that? How many of you would say that reading scripture has not kept you close to your Savior? 
See, young people, those are the things. Those are the things that tie our wandering hearts to the source. So as you go from a mountaintop experience of camps and retreats into our congregation as a whole, if you go to retreat, have a mountaintop experience. It's those things, those habits that keep you tethered to the source as you ascend and descend from the valleys low to the heights of the mountaintop. To conclude our time, I want to invite Caden and Stella to come up. They're going to share about how they saw God at work this uh, two weekends ago at the youth retreat. Thank you. All right, guys, I'm Caden. <laughs> um, and at camp, uh, so I'm going to lead in with the story, actually. I'll try not to make it too long, but uh, for the past few months, we've had uh, two new kids in our group, um, two high school guys. And uh, they're not, like, church people, we'll say. Like, they, it was their first time ever opening a Bible, um, coming to a youth group. It was just, they were just, quite frankly, if I, I don't mean to be, this is just a fault of me. They were kind of the people that I didn't interact with that I might have judged um, before getting to know them better. Uh, they, like, one of them was afraid to show their face for the first, like, two weeks. He would have his hood up. And he'd pull the strings so that the circle closed completely. Um, I just, I wasn't used to interacting with these people, being that I, I go to a private Christian school. Um, I've grown up in the church all my life. And uh, so, but God had put it on my heart um, to be a welcoming person and try to interact with them as best I could. And then, uh, so at retreat, seeing God work, um, Quite frankly, it wasn't the mountaintop experience that I was used to uh, retreats and camps being. Um, I didn't have any moments where uh, during worship, it was like I could feel the Holy Spirit. I, didn't, I felt like I could have been more vulnerable in discussion groups and small group time. But then uh, after camp, on the, on the ride back home, um, once I had gotten back into the real world, I was at work. I got uh, two of the most meaningful texts that I've ever received. Um, and one of them said... Uh, I just want to thank you for being so welcoming and kind to me over the past couple months. And uh, it's been really fun um, getting to know and talking with you guys. I think you guys are the only few people I can actually open up to. And then uh, it, the uh, another kid, um, a few hours later, texted, uh, I just wanted to thank you for introducing me to the group and helping me better my relationship with God. Um, this wasn't anything I did. Like, it wasn't. It was clearly God doing it in me because, like I said, these were people that I would have frankly judged before this, but God had put it on my heart to try to be welcoming, to try to interact with them, to try to be kind, and he helped me do it um, in a way that I couldn't. So he, I was just so thankful, crying during, at work, um, just so thankful that um, just God had used me um, to bring others closer to God when I... Like, I didn't feel like God was working at camp. Like, I, it was a good time. Like, it was nice to unplug from the real world, but I didn't feel God working in the ways that I was used to him working at camps. But then when I got home, it was just so evident that, oh, God had totally been working. He had been using me, though, for the first time. It was a different, like, experience than what I was used to. I was, I was used to being, like, developed at camps, not actually being used to develop others. So that was a really cool experience for me to see God work. Thank you, Caden. Um, hi, my name is Stella. Um, as you know, I went to the retreat. Um, <laughs> the way that 
God connected with me over the retreat was um, during the worship. I, I think it was the second night. Um, but we, my, like, youth group, like, all the girls, um, we, I started crying, and, like, I just really connected with the worship and the songs, and then when we went back to discussion groups, I just, it was really nice to open up to a group of girls that could understand me or knew what I was feeling and could just really open up to. It was nice to just be around that group of people. Great. Thank you, Stella. Can we give them a round of applause? Now, we serve a God that was at work in the Israelites and the Hebrews thousands of years ago. He's alive and well and working today as well. And it's a pleasure to celebrate with you in the ways that he's done that and to give testimony to the way he's done that in our young people. I want to conclude our service in prayer, invite the, uh, the band to come forward. Um, so pray with me. Father, I desire so deeply that we do not have hearts like King Ahab, hearts that, and hearts like the Israelites did, where they ran constantly to the people that surrounded them to look for, to look for that ideal life, to look for what is, should be worshipped. We need to be realigned. We need to be remember. We need to remember to follow you, the one true God. There is none beside you, Father. You stand alone. I'm excited to worship you in these next few songs. I'm excited to remember through communion that, Jesus, it was your sacrifice upon the cross that brings us back into right relationship with you. We are in deep need of your work in our hearts and our lives, Father. We thank you that you never give up on us, that you continue to to chase us down. You leave the 99 to chase the one. We have all, like sheep, we've gone astray, and we thank you that you have brought us back to the fold. We love you, Father. Amen.